verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now let your eye run down, please, through the chapter to verse 14. And the word, this is the same word which is in chapters, pardon me, verses 1 and 2. And the word, capital W, was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice here, in the beginning was the Word. John, if you want, seems to allude to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Father and His Word... The Word was with God and is God. John's alluding back to Genesis 1 and 1. So it's not only the beginning as if uh, the Lord Jesus had a beginning. It's the beginning of the creation of God. When we go to 1 John, if you flick over to the little epistle of 1 John, chapter 1 and verse 1, It says, that which was from the beginning. Notice, that which was from the beginning. Speaking of John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Speaking of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word. There it is again, the word of life. This is the word of God, the word of the Father becomes flesh. This is the Lord Jesus Christ comes to earth and is born of Mary. Verse 14 of John's gospel, the word is made flesh and dwelt among us. So take note of a word in this, the word grace, G-R-A-C-E. So the word grace is used in verse 14. It is also used in verse 16. Notice, and of his fullness have all we received on grace for grace. And it is used in verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We're of no doubt here. We're of no doubt whatsoever that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. That he came from the Father. He is the word of the Father. And notice the word was with God and is God. The word is made flesh. And of course then the word is full of grace and truth. And of course grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 18 
No man hath seen God at any time. God's invisible. He's the invisible God, the great eternal spirit. No man has seen God at any time. Notice the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So Jesus is the fullness of the expression. He is the full visible expression of the invisible God. I suppose maybe this has been, not this word particularly, but there's a few things going around because there's a movement now going on, especially with some people who I was friendly with who have changed in the United States now, and there's a whole movement going on that Jesus was a man filled with God. Now, that's not what the Scripture says. He is God who was clothed with a man. And I suppose they... They won't like me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyhow. It goes in line with the teaching that if any man uh, denies the deity of Christ, if any man or woman denies the deity of Christ, John tells us in his, epistle, in his little epistles, they are anti-Christ. So when we look at different peoples that believe that Jesus is at most a man or a prophet, Islam, for example, it's an anti-Christ spirit. When we look at um, the Unitarian Church, who believe Jesus is just a man, but used of God, sent forth by God, then it is an antichrist spirit. When we think of um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who do not believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, some think would even go as far to stretch it that he's a little God. So there's a big God and a weak God. He is the fullness of God. He's He's the son of man and he's the son of God. He's the fullness of God. And Paul tells us in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And in fact, the rendering can be all the fullness of deity dwells in him. All the fullness of deity is in him. So the, the, there's, all, there's all, others also, that, as I said, the Jehovah's Witness would say that. And listen, and Judaism says it too. Judaism denies the deity of Christ. It is an antichrist spirit through them all. And for some reason, these Christians who, were, who I've known for a few years, and especially in the States, have been saddened over the last while. They're promoting more and more um, uh, that Jesus was just a vessel. Now, that is heretical and it is terrible. Now, when we look at this, let's move on from that. Notice this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. So we're looking at Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First uh, John 1 and 1, that which was from the beginning. Okay, so the Creator... The, the word is the agency um, from which God creates. Jesus is the alpha and the omega of, the, uh, of, of the, the New Testament, if you want. He's every word uh, of the language, all of the Father embodied. Or if you want, he's the aleph and the toph of the Hebrew. He is everything, the fullness of the word. And everything that the Father is, he is. And so when we look at this, and I want just to, for a few minutes, first of all, look at the word grace. G-R-A-C-E. He is, in verse 14, full 
of grace. I'm glad of that. I'm glad of that because he came to save us. He's full of grace and truth. And of course, verse 16, and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. And then again, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so the only way we can know the grace of God, the truth of God, and also according to verse 18, God himself, that is the Father, the only way we can know him is through the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Son. It's the only way we can know him. That's how God has chosen to show and reveal himself unto us through his word. But this word grace, okay, for example, it's an abstract word. Abstract would really mean something that is without material existence or a bodily form. Abstract is something without, without a material existence or a bodily form. So grace is an abstract word. Love is an abstract word. My brethren, if you were to tell your wife you love her, she would say, don't tell me, show me. Isn't that right? And all the women are looking, and I'm glad I'm up here because he's just listening to me. <laughs> but through our actions, and women to men, like, but through our actions is how a woman will know you love her, how you treat her. Don't tell me you love me and treat me like this. Don't tell me you love God and treat me like this because everything goes against what you're saying. You show yourself that you love your wife by how you treat her, how you act around her, how you speak to her, what you even present and give to her. That's your love to your wife. That is it, love, an abstract word, taking on a material existence and a bodily form. And it comes from the abstract right into the here and now. Does that make sense? So grace is the same. If God says he loves us and tells us that he loves us and never sent his son to show it, to prove it, and to die for us, we could say, well, how do we know you love us, Lord? We would have a right to say, how do we know you love us? But now we have no right to ask, although I'm sure sometimes we do, maybe sometimes. We have no right to ask because we're told that God loved you so much he gave his only begotten son. And we're reading about his son here. So God reveals himself in his son. God embodies himself through his son. And God also shows us love in the sending of the son and the dying of the son. So now we have no right to ask the Lord, do you love me? for he can always point us back to Calvary. That's what we sang, I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. Grace is an abstract word. I said this the other, I can't remember when it was, but the other Sunday. And grace is the divine influence upon one's heart. And it's reflection in one's life. So if we have received grace at salvation and grace through living this Christian life, then we will also be showing grace to others, living in grace and understanding when we all fail, 
all of us fail. We know he loves us. Not because of us. He actually loves us in spite of us. Thank the Lord he does. But also grace is shown to others because we know how much grace he's shown to us. So the terms here that in verse 16, and of his fullness have all we received. That is the fullness of God's giving, the fullness of God's love, the fullness of God's forgiveness, the fullness of cleansing. Everything is in its fullness in the person of Christ. And now when we're saved, we've received this. Notice, and grace for grace. Someone once put it like this. What does it mean, grace for grace? So someone described it as, you go to a, a subway, not the place where you get your lettuce and your salads and stuff and your food, as in where the trains go up and down the tube. You go to the subway and you're running to catch the train and just as you get to the door, the door's closed and off the train goes. Oh, no, I've missed it. That's how we feel when we wonder, does grace extend this far to us? We can all feel like that. Lord, does your grace extend even past my waywardness? My unfaithfulness to you, Lord? Does your grace extend past my failures and my faults, my feelings? And does your grace, and listen, the train's gone, and so we get down in the dumps, and it's like, grace is finished, it must be no more for me. But this is grace, for grace means you get up, the door's closed, the train goes off down that tunnel, the subway, and way off down the tube, you think you've missed it, but in a, in a fleeting thought, the next train comes along, stops right beside you. Just get on the train. Get on the next train. Does that make sense? That's an idea of grace for grace. Keeps coming. Uh, uh, Paul tells us that God's grace abounds even over our sin. And it means to abound and then some more, to superabound over our sin. But then he says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How should we continue in sin and live therein that are dead to sin? That's in Romans 6, if you want to look that up sometime. So notice here, grace, the, the term grace in and, and the Greek is charis. Charis. It's where you get charismatic from, where people take it somewhere else, uh, think it's some, th- something else, but that's another time. And the word charis, oh, uh, it does mean unmerited favor. Uh, it means to extend, to go further than, you know, to keep on loving and forgiving. It, it can mean all those sort of things, but in, in the Greek, when it was brought into the Greek New Testament, it was taken from the, what the Greeks would have called charis. And what it meant was you'd have been walking down through, say, Athens or maybe somewhere by the seashore, uh, and the ancient Greeks would have had a philosopher standing. They would have stood in the sunshine and listened to some Greek philosopher tell them something they didn't know before, and they felt enriched by it. And it didn't cost them anything. Or if you want to put it in, into... Uh, modern times, you, you go to your holidays. What's a holiday? Does anybody remember those things? <laughs> remember when you used to be able to go? <laughs> uh, what, so you get on your plane, you go to your holidays, and you're standing there. Do you ever get, and you're just there, and it's the first realization I'm actually here. 
and you breathe in the hot air, maybe the sun's on the, I'm going to make my wife cry in a minute here, and the sun's on the, the sun's on the glistening on the sea, and there's, there's a nice breeze maybe blowing to cool you down a little bit in the grass, and you know all that, and you just go, oh, there's a property in it, you know, it just you feel that, maybe it's a week or two or whatever, 10 days, oh, I'm here, that relief of, you know, and that feeling, I know you've paid for your holiday, don't get me wrong, but that feeling is charis. That's what the Greeks use for charis. And it means to receive freely. To receive freely. It gives the idea of, of a property in a thing which causes the hearer or the beholder to have relief or joy. So whenever John is writing this and bringing this into the the New Testament, the Greek New Testament, he's saying that in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, we beheld his glory in verse 14, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. He's full of this for you. Do you know the the sense of the the release, the, the relief of sins forgiven? Do you remember the relief of your sins forgiven? Do you remember the relief when, I remember, I'll never forget the day I was saved. Never forget it, the the relief of it, of the weight of my shoulders off my back. My heart was black with sin and the cleansing of the blood. And and that, uh, that which came to me, this newness and relief of life was the grace of God. It was the charis. This is amazing. You know, when you're on your holiday the first time, Wow, I'm actually here. Relax. <laughs> you know, oh, everybody's walking in their chairs with all of that, aren't you? <laughs> this is the idea of charis of the Greek here. And, the, and you remember that time, or do you remember that time you knew you failed them? Failed them again, Lord. And that doubt comes, and you know, there's no train coming, by the way, you know, but you don't realize it sometimes. Or maybe you stand looking at the train. You have takes you a wee while to get on the third or fourth one. You know, yes, there's grace for you. Get on it and go on. But when you do, you realize, Lord, just thank you for loving me. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for helping me. Thank you, Lord, I can still come. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, you haven't left me nor forsaken me. Thank you, Lord, I feel so much lighter. Even by for the, the failure that I was 10 minutes ago. Oh of God and hence that's what John is using and, and so when the law came by Moses the law is heavy on us the law of God is a, is a burden because the law of God is perfect by there's nothing wrong with the law you know what's wrong? us it's weak in our flesh and, and here the law is heavy it's a burden and no man can, can really carry it no woman can carry it but we try to sometimes because, you know, well, you know, we have to walk perfect. And even sometimes we, we leave, as it were, and almost fall from the grace of God. Not into sin. That's not falling from the grace of God. Uh, thinking you're doing it by your works is falling from grace. Or by the law. And hence, whenever we have this, and, uh, uh, and the law in verse 17 was given by Moses... Here it is, the law, the mountain shakes, the thunder, the lightning. Is, that's, what, that's what it is. The holiness of God causes a mountain to tremble. The law comes on us, but it shows us that we're sinners. 
But the gospel and the grace shows us Christ. Shows us the remedy in the person of Christ. So, just while we round this up a minute, I want to take you somewhere. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Will you turn with me to Psalm 62, please? Psalm 62. Now remember that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word proceeds from God. It's like, you, you, it's like face to face, in the face of God, as if, I, if I can put that reverently. Notice this, Psalm 62 and verse 1. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him, that means from God, isn't that right? From him cometh my salvation. Okay? The word salvation here is the Hebrew word Yeshua. Sound familiar? It's the Hebrew name. In Greek it would be Aesus. In English it's Jesus. Let's read it like that then. Truly my soul waiteth upon God or Elohim. From him, from God cometh my Jesus. Verse 2, he only is my rock and my Yeshua. He is my Jesus. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. See? Can you see him there? So salvation is what? Abstract. It hasn't got a bodily material existence or form. How does someone know you're saved? By their fruits shall you know them. You take on the bodily form that you're saved, isn't that right? Your life produces the fruit and people see the salvation in your life by your speech, how you walk and talk and what you do, the change in you and the love of Christ coming through you. Not only to them, but your love to him. So you've taken on this salvation, which is a bodily form. How did, how, did, how did Israel see the salvation of God if it's abstract and God is invisible? Didn't they see a Red Sea opening up? Didn't they see dry ground? Didn't they feel the wind blow it? This is without the bodily material existence and form. This is God. Salvation, look, opens up the Red Sea. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down, didn't they? They were seeing the effects of what salvation is, but they couldn't see the salvation as a person, only in God, but they couldn't visibly, physically see. Now notice this. Go down to verse 5, please. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. So our expectation isn't from anywhere else. Listen, our expectation isn't in an institution or a denomination or an affiliation. Our expectation is solely and only, uniquely and totally from God. 
No one else. No earthly being. But Christ alone. Now when he goes into verse 6, he only is my rock and my salvation. He only is. So he's my rock and he saves me. But how does he do it? Well, just the, the waves, the wind, the, the walls come down, the armies are defeated. I don't know how he does it, but he's doing it. Verse 7. In God is my salvation. Here's it again. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Now take note of this. Turn with me to Turn with me to Isaiah, please, chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. It's, only a, it's a short chapter, this. Verse 1 says, In that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me. Thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Now, notice verse 2 here. Behold, God, the word God is El. El. It's like, it's like the root word of Elohim, El, and El, El, Yon, and so forth. Really, it's just another word for the Almighty God. Behold, El is my Yeshua. Sometimes it's the word Yeshua for salvation, but here again it's Yeshua. El, the Almighty God, is my Jesus. Isn't that powerful? People say it wasn't in the Old Testament. El is my Jesus. God is my salvation. I will trust. So there we are. We, we have to trust. Maybe you need to hear this tonight because you, you, you know, it's a little bit of impossibility in front uh, before you and you, you can't see further than your nose at times. You know, I do the same. We have to get ourselves to the place where we trust. We have to trust. Where's the Where's the help coming from? Where's the ability coming from? Where's this going to be healed with and helped with? Where, 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 where's the healing coming from? Where's, you have to trust. The finances for this and that. Got myself in the pickle, in the mess. I will trust you, Lord. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord, the word Lord, L-O-R-D, is Yah for Yahweh. Same God, same person. Notice, Yah, Jehovah, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Now, notice this. Therefore, with joy. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Out of the wells of Yeshua. Out of the wells of Jesus. See that verse 3? Can we read it together? You ready? Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Okay, turn to John's gospel again. John's gospel, chapter 4. We're coming to a close with this.
John chapter 4. And if you note when you're reading the Gospels, so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew takes the lineage of Jesus to Abraham. Luke takes the lineage of the Lord Jesus to his flesh, that is, to Adam. Mark doesn't give us the lineage of the Lord Jesus. He just has him coming straight to his baptism at 30 years of age to John the Baptist in the River Jordan. But John, we have read, brings us right into past Abraham, past Adam, and right out into eternity. In the beginning was the word. Uh, sorry, John 4. Just let me get it myself. So the Lord Jesus is meeting a woman at, the, at a well, isn't she? And she says she's had five husbands, and he says, I know you've had five husbands. In verse 18, and he whom thou hast now is not thine husband, and that thou saidest truly. And the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mount, and ye say in Jerusalem, this place men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is off the Jews. But, in the hour, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. So we are to worship him in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Look at verse 25. I don't, I don't understand when this, those who spoke of um, earlier, when they, they read this, why they, are they not reading this or, or, or are they not getting this? Verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah, Messiah cometh. In other words, Messiah isn't just a man from heaven. Messiah is God from heaven coming. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Now, he's only after telling her that he knows her life. Verse 26, and Jesus says unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. It's out of his own life. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm telling you all things. He's the God who knows your heart and knows all things. That's reversed back just before we go any further. Go back to verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into, unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh, asketh drink of me? which I'm a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus said unto her, now notice, if thou knewest the gift of God. So this is a gift of God. And who it is, who is it that's speaking to her? Messiah. Didn't he say it? Well, we read it. And who it is that saith unto me, give me to drink, thou wouldest asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, and whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? 
And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall freely give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be a well, well in him, a well of water shall be, pardon me, the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, what did Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3 say? We got you to read it out. Out of the wells of salvation, Yeshua, it's not right? We're going to draw water? John 7. John 7. Verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe in him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So here, the Feast of Tabernacles, what happens? The last day is the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. They all went in the booths to remind when Israel came out of Egypt and camped in the wilderness. And this feast they had, at the end of, at the end of it, they came, the priest came with large uh, vessels, mostly golden vessels, and they had it full of water, and where there was any sacrifice, they washed it away with the water. And there was a solemn assembly. Once the water was poured out and the blood met the water and ran down gullies, what happened was they started to blow the shofar. Now there were, I don't know, maybe 120 of them. Solomon had 120 shofar trumpet blowers in his temple. On the day of Pentecost, next chapter 2, how many was in the upper room? 120. Why? Because the Spirit was coming down to blow the shofar through their mouth, wasn't he? To fill them with the Spirit of God. That temple's gone, and we are the new temple in Christ. Isn't that right what he said? They worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Can you see it now? So, Jesus is the well we draw from. He's the well of Isaiah 12. He's the salvation in Psalm 62, who is God coming from God. And it marries with John chapter 1 in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have handled with our hands and so on. So you can see the centrality of Christ here. Maybe as we worship for a few moments, you can see the abstract God, Spirit. He is God, and He's a Spirit. The woman, uh, the Lord says, God is a Spirit. And, they, uh, uh, and John four, we can see Him coming to earth in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus, dying on the cross, embodying grace, embodying truth, embodying the Father, embodying God Himself. Embody the embodiment of love for you. And he says then, trust me. Trust me. I preached that to me tonight. I didn't know it was going to preach it to me. In fact, I was driving down the car with Alison and said, 
one of those days when you just, uh, I just felt blah. But now I feel not blah, but yeah, <laughs> because of him, because of him. So sometimes you need to read the scriptures and preach yourself happy, you know. Team, come up and we'll worship for a few minutes. Let's get down to prayer.